broadcast our pirate signal back into the matrix. Escapingthecave.com, also on the ChristopherMedia.net network. Thank you, com- comrade. Lock, I got him. No. <laughs> Howdy, Tonzilla Files, and welcome to another episode of Escaping the Cave, the Tonzilla X-Pod. You can check me out over at ChristopherMedia.net if you haven't already. You can also hit up my website, EscapingTheCave.com. Any podcatcher worth a damn, and fuck Twitter. Happy weekend. Friday, September 27th, 2019, we have survived, or you have survived, I should say. I'm not going to put myself in that category. Y'all have survived another week. (laughs) Barely. Have you been watching the news? Did you... Take my challenge yesterday and uh, kind of flip back and forth between CNN and Fox, maybe Fox and MSNBC, as far as the uh, impeachment hearings and all that crap, the coverage of the Ukraine controversy and crises. I say crises because, yes, there are two Ukraine crises at play here. You wouldn't know it watching CNN, though. And of course, it's it's blown completely into the heliosphere over there on Fox. This deal with Biden. I don't know what to think. Full confession: I didn't participate in our little game today. I tried. I turned the uh, coverage on for a little while this afternoon. Hmm. Now, <laughs> uh-uh. I don't know what to believe, man. I don't. I don't trust any of these people. I don't trust any of the coverage whatsoever. I can't watch CNN anymore. And uh, Fox has just gone off the rails. I flipped over there for a minute. And I think I was watching The Five. You know, that little, uh, I don't know, collection of people they have on in the afternoon. (laughs) They were just completely, they got one token liberal on there, a black guy. He'd say something, and the other three would just gang pile him. You know, he's there to sort of give the impression or the illusion that uh, Fox is trying to be fair and balanced. But he's just there to be the punching bag for these other three people. And it was just obvious as hell today. And it's just like, no, I can't do this. I cannot do this. I cannot do this. Oh, oh my God. No quid pro pro. No quid pro pro pro. I can't even say that. I'm so sick and tired of hearing that phrase, though. Can we say something in English? Do we have to actually use the Latin? Can we just say... It was bribery or blackmail or whatever you want to call it. Do we have to keep saying quid pro quo? This is the best I can do for you. I do not know. I said this in the episode yesterday. I don't know what happened over there in the Ukraine. I dare say you don't know either. You just have the news coverage you have uh, ingested, chosen to ingest, and that is your interpretation of the events. That's fine. That's the best we can do these days. I'm sorry. It does not matter. Now, we've got these impeachment hearings coming up, and then that's probably going to move into some sort of impeachment trial in the Senate. House of Representatives draws up articles of impeachment. It goes to the Senate. Senate has to convict. I think it's by two-thirds. Good luck with that. I cannot think of a single scenario where this group of uh, Republicans would convict Trump of anything. I cannot think of one scenario, no matter what happens, no matter the evidence that's put forth by uh, anybody in an impeachment trial in the Senate, 
It doesn't matter. He's not going to be convicted. This is the problem I talked about with direct democracy yesterday because these Republicans are trembling in fear of their constituents when they go home. If they're up for re-election or if they're ever going to be up for re-election, they cannot be on record as opposing Donald Trump in a situation like this. They can't do it. You know, there's this book, Profiles and Courage. Uh, John F. Kennedy is a classic. Might have won a Pulitzer. I don't remember. But I did read it. And there's something in there that says it's always a challenge for a politician to do the right thing because you can't do the right thing if you're not in office. You can't do anything if you're not elected. So this is always the challenge that any politician, even a good one, even a well-intentioned politician is going to have that if he doesn't get reelected, if he doesn't gain office, if he doesn't stay in office, he can't even do marginal work. He's going to be back home plowing a field. Metaphorically speaking, none of these guys are ever going to be plowing fields again. <laughs> so this is the problem, though, with the threats of primaries now and the purity test. It's, come, it's going to keep be coming from the left eventually as well. It's already begun. They can't bring themselves to do the right thing because they have to face the electoral mob at home. Good luck. And as the bilateral radicalization and extremism and the bilateral purity tests come along, in the coming months and the coming year, years, it's going to get worse. The Democrats are going to be facing the same thing. In fact, they already are. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has already opened that can of shit. That can of poo. So pretty soon, the extreme far left, the Green Tea Party, is going to be pretty much doing the same thing the Tea Party was doing a few years ago, and we've all seen how that's affected everything. So, long story short, it doesn't matter what happens. We pretty much have... No matter what happens, we, we, we have seen the preliminary script for what's going to happen next year as we run up to November in the election. Are Democrats going to have this impeachment. I, I want to call it a farce. I mean, I'll get back to this later, but they're going to have these hearings. They're going to have the impeachment trial if it gets that far, and that's going to be used on a daily basis as a political commercial, a political reality show. A daily infomercial for the Democratic Party against the evil, the evil Antichrist that's Donald Trump. They're going to have a production every single day coming across your television. That is going to be how whatever comes out of the Democratic primaries is going to campaign against Donald Trump. They have it. I think there may be a reason why they have waited so long uh, to begin these impeachment hearings. Because maybe they, they know it can't succeed. The best they can do is have this political spectacle all spring and summer long leading up to the election. And they have calculated that somehow this is going to help their election, their election chances in November. That's the only thing I can think of. Because it's not going to happen. You're not going to remove the man from office. It doesn't... I, I, I don't know what to believe. It looks really bad. You're taking taxpayer money and foreign aid, and you're blackmailing a foreign government for dirt on a political opponent after everything that happened in 2016 and the Russian interference and blah, 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 blah. The day after, what was it, the day after Mueller gave his testimony 
something down that line. He was on the phone with this guy in the Ukraine, essentially blackmailing him. If CNN and everybody else has their facts straight, Fox News doesn't matter. No quid pro Well, he was smart enough not to articulate it, not to lay it down. Here's A, here's B, here's X. Fine, even Donald Trump's smart enough not to do that. It doesn't take a genius. A seven-year-old can figure that out. If you can't figure out that he figured it out, and it's the same damn thing, whatever. It's not literally in the transcript. <laughs> Fuck you. Stop it. And I say that, and there's half the country that's gobbling that up. And, you know, obsessed with Biden. And, of course, on the other side with Biden. CNN wants nothing to do with it. MSNBC wants nothing to do Oh, my God, no, he's pure. Joe Biden's pure. Besides, he wasn't president of the United States when all this happened. Well, no, but he wants to be next year. It could be applicable. It could be a useful piece of information to people trying to decide who they're going to vote for next year, right? Yeah. It's a clusterfuck. A cluster McFuck. It should be on the menu at McDonald's. As point. So, what I've decided to do, I'm going to kind of pay attention. I'm going to watch it in a as detached uh, way as I can. You know, sort of like watching Survivor. <laughs> or South Park. <laughs> yeah, South Park. That's closer to it. I'll pay attention. I'll watch South Park as this thing goes along. And I'll pay attention in a detached sort of way until, until this starts to play itself out. And we'll see what happens with the Democrats next year. We'll see who, what, uh, comes out of that Democratic primary. And what's going to happen next after that, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. <laughs> because, you know, there's some tape that they've been running. I don't know if it was Nadler. No, it was Schumer, I think, who was talking back during the uh, Clinton impeachment and, and claiming that the Clinton impeachment was going to lead to like every election. Then there's going to be an impeachment. Then the, the, the losing party is just going to try to overthrow the election. We have to have a, a high standard for impeachment. He's not wrong. He wasn't wrong back then. He wasn't wrong. If you win the election next year, I've said this before, you win the election next year, Democrats and say you have president Biden. They've already got this Ukraine thing to start. That could that's almost guaranteed to be the first investigation, right? There's gonna be more. They're gonna find something. They're gonna find something. They're going to assault you with investigations the same way they think you have just assaulted Trump with investigations throughout his four-year term, and they're gonna try to do their best to find a way to impeach. Nothing's gonna get done. In Congress, all of you know, I saw Bernie Sanders on Colbert tonight. Ah, he sounded so good. Oh, Medicare for all and income inequality and infrastructure. Ho, oh, we're going to save the country. He's not going to do a goddamn thing. Neither is Elizabeth Warren and none of them are going to do anything because this congressional gridlock that we've experienced with Mitch McConnell standing there like a, like a stubborn bull the same thing's going to happen, except a Democrat's going to be in the Oval Office. 
Nothing. You have to get things through both houses of Congress. Both chambers have to approve legislation for it to get (laughs) to the Messiah president's desk. All these things that Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are preaching about, these pie-in-the-sky promises, these utopian visions for how they can save America, they can't do it by themselves from the Oval Office. And we've been in a state of gridlock for, what, six years? At least six years. The Democrats, the only reason they got Obamacare pushed through was because they had both chambers. You don't get both chambers with supermajorities. Filibuster-proof majorities. Nothing, nothing can happen. This, I, I did an episode on, um, what was it called? Constant Institutional Hospice or something down that line, I think it was called. And that's exactly what this is. The, the institutions are crumbling beneath the weight of partisanship now. They have been since Trump took office. And maybe, you know, President Bernie can rebuild some of them. But that one institution, Congress, where we actually function as a nation, it's not going to happen. The solution to this is always going, it's always going to be the people. We are the problem here. And you need to look no further than the Senate right now. And how fearful and terrified the Republicans are of their constituency. The Democrats are going to be feeling the same exact thing. And nothing can get done in that environment. We have de facto mob rule by about three degrees of separation. It's as though the mob is in the, is in the Senate. They are so terrified. It's almost we have de facto direct democracy now. I heard some douchebag tonight. I think it was on CNN. Yeah, I think it was on Cuomo's show. I don't know why the hell I was watching Chris Cuomo, but I, I wasn't going to go watch Fox, and I sure as fuck watch, wasn't watching Maddo. So, I'm sorry, Maddo. Anyway, had a Republican on there, and they were talking about impeachment. And the Republican came on, and he's like, yeah, well, we need the support of the American people to impeach. And, and Cuomo's like, Why? No, you were elected a representative. It's one of the very few times I've actually agreed with with Cuomo on anything. (laughs) And he's right. No, you were elected to represent your people, not represent each and every whim of your people. You're elected to know better than them and to make decisions for them, not to express their will willy-nilly. I think people have lost sight of that. I think people have gotten so used to having their opinions and their wants and their needs catered to. Maybe social media has something to do with this, too. I have an opinion. I would like it taken into account. Everybody feels this way now. They don't trust their representatives to know better than them. They just know what they want. And if their representative doesn't act according to that will, we're going to primary it. We'll get somebody in there that we want as, as extreme as we are. And no, you don't need to pay attention to polling to understand that the president of the United States is corrupt and he needs to be impeached. You don't need that. Maybe you need to understand that you have more and better information than the rabble back in your district. Maybe you need to express them to that, hey, you know what, I'm in Washington, I've seen more of this than you, I know more about this than you, trust me on this, okay, I know he's in our party, I know it, I know it, just trust me here. 
Yeah, right. Uh, Justin Amash, man. He's the one example, I guess we can point to, in recent times, of a person who's come out against Donald Trump, who's called him out for what he is. And he's paying the price. Do you hear about him anymore? I went and checked out his Twitter page today. He's, he's still you know, doing what he does, but he's going to be primaried. And all indications are that when that election comes up, he's going to be gone because he crossed the holy base. He crossed the mob. The constituent mob. It doesn't matter if he's right. It doesn't matter if he's principled. It doesn't matter if he's acting in the country and his district's best interest. They just want him to do something else. This is mobism. This is mob rule. It's representative mob rule. Awesome, as Chris would say. Fantastic. I've got more on this. I'll get let's just get to it, shall we? The sun fell down. It kept it going. Listen to the Escaping the Cave podcast over ChristopherMedia.net, EscapingTheCave.com, all your favorite podcatchers. Fuck Twitter, that's my new slogan. Rico Kasich died this week. That sucks. Another voice from my youth. Gone. It was everywhere. Younger, you may not realize how much of a hit machine the cars were in the 1980s. Oh my God, they were everywhere. They were putting out hits like you would not believe. Oh, they were—they were sort of a soundtrack. One of the one of the key soundtracks of the 1980s. The cars were. Rick Ocasek died. Uh, some confusion about his age. I noticed that they may have got that straightened around, but some said he was 75. Some said he was 70. Uh, God, it's just sad. It really is to think that he's gone. I think he married, uh, was it Paulina Portskova? Oof. And Rick Ocasek was not a good-looking guy. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, great voice. I love that band, but uh, I don't know if that gives me hope or if it depressed me. Seeing him with Paulina Portskova. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, he's gone. Well, that sucks. You might think I'm crazy. I thought that was the uh, perfect song for this week. (laughs) Uh, you might. We're going to find out one day, though, won't you? Anyway, there's something else I want to consider about this as I bring it back to the uh, propaganda theme. 
And this is a little, little out there maybe, but this division and how we have sort of isolated ourselves off into these teams, these tribes, these adversarial gangs who are just at each other's throats, right? And I'm wondering if maybe, just maybe, just by the constant and competing exposure to both agitation and sociological propaganda that we see on a daily basis throughout social media, the electronic media, all of it, I wonder if we've actually, in a weird way, become more aware of this stuff without really realizing what it is. In some twisted but half-assed way, if we've become more sophisticated media consumers. I've been saying that we need to become more sophisticated media consumers. I think what I mean by that is when we're talking about our, the stuff we agree with, the stuff we want to hear. Just by daily exposure, man, uh, maybe we've in instinctively picked up on the techniques being used by media, political, special interest, and identity-based advocacy groups. The propaganda. And since we can't escape it, thanks to this constant exposure in the Matrix, become oversensitized to their content because a tolerance level maybe has been reached. Maybe this is part of the why we hate each other so much, because we maybe instinctively detect the propaganda that's being lobbed around, but only by them. It is one of those traits, it's one of the, the common traits in everything that I've said, everything that I've read, that you will see their bullshit. You will see it, you'll detect it immediately. The problem is you don't see the bullshit being directed at you by the team you agree with. So when these competing groups, these competing echo chambers, yell at each other and say, oh my God, you're just, you're just deluded by propaganda and bullshit, they're both right about the other guy. I mean, you have to learn something, right? Unless you're remedial, short bus kind of special. If you're exposed to it on a daily basis, I mean, it would make sense that you would pick up on it. It would make sense that you would detect the patterns. And I think also that a lot of people have subconsciously, I don't know that they understand that it's propaganda. I think they just think it's a neat way to argue. But I think a lot of people have picked up on the propaganda techniques just by being exposed to it and have started doing it themselves. It's something to think about. I don't know. It's really easy, I guess, uh, to just assume that people are dumb, <laughs> for lack of a better term, that they don't understand what's going on, you know, just out of ignorance. I don't know that that's it. We're so bombarded by these competing propaganda streams, especially online, especially on Twitter. Oh, fuck. Uh, Facebook as well. It's still happening. The disinformation stuff still happening. Actually, it's increased. Uh, more on that's coming. But yeah, I, you see it on a constant daily basis by people you disagree with. So you detect their propaganda. You reach a tolerance, and you just you just reach for the throat and squeeze. And I wonder if this combined with the increasing need to be you know sensational, you know to grab the eyeballs, you know grab clicks, grab revenue and basic pedestrian likes by these you know, social media influencer types. They're just normal, run-of-the-mill, rank-and-file people. As that dopamine tolerance sort of rises, as I've been talking about, 
I wonder if that's the nexus of how so many of us have inadvertently become cells in this domestic agitation propaganda mob, this tumor that's consuming the country, that's leading probably to this constituent mob that our representatives are so fearful of. I don't know. And from Lipman to Bernays to Jacques Lul to Jonathan Haidt, they all say at least one thing consistently, that while you will never see uh, your own cult's propaganda, your own group, your own in-group, they never engage in propaganda. No, that's just wisdom. <laughs> but you're definitely, you're definitely going to detect it in the enemy, the other guy. Everybody says this all the way through. It, it, it never shocks me. I, I wish it did shock me anymore. It used to dumbfound me that people wouldn't be able to detect this stuff. Now, I was doing this in a half-assed way myself, but back when I was a liberal guy, or at least an anti-Tea Party guy, I could never understand how these folks could look at this material, this just utter bullshit. Going back to 2014, when I uh, first detected that disinformation stuff on Facebook, I couldn't understand why people couldn't see that for what it was. Oh, my fucking God. Well, oh, there uh, you go. You never see it in your own team. You want to believe it. It's the can I believe this thing that I was talking about before. Will I allow myself to believe this stuff? Can I believe it? Yes, I can. Proud white Americans page. Woo! Stuff like that. It goes both ways, though. And I know that people on the right, Trump supporters or not, they see the material coming from the left, especially the far left, and they detect that shit like boom instantaneously. See, I have a problem here <laughs> because I have, I think I have succeeded in detaching myself enough. The, yeah, I'm not just getting slapped by propaganda from, you know, the, the perception of seeing it from one side. I'm getting like a combination all the time from the left and the right. It's affecting my mood, man. I, oh boy. Yeah. You see enough of that, and you, you just see this, this cultural lobotomy where everybody, it seems like everybody, is swimming in their own feces while pointing at the guy across the street saying, Hey, <laughs> you're swimming in shit. <laughs> That'll eat on you, man. Uh, boy. Anyway, yeah, they all say that. You're never going to see your own propaganda, but you'll definitely be aware of it in the enemies. It's plain as day. I mean, look at the, I don't know where you're political, obviously, I don't even know who's listening to this podcast, but think about where you are politically. If you have some sense of allegiance, some belief system that fits into the binary uh, sort of schematic we have, think about the other guy. Plain as day, isn't it? You'll see it all day long. The problem is, if you were to go over and sort of inhabit be a body snatcher and inhabit that guy's body and that guy's mind, he would be saying the same thing about you. And I, I got to tell you, I know this, isn't, this is going to be counterintuitive to you. You're both right. Neither one of you are wrong about that. It's a trait that's common to all propagandees. Also, their propaganda is evil. But yours... Ours? 
<laughs> you see, we don't do that. That it doesn't exist on our side. We're just dealing in truth. Wisdom. God is on our side. Propaganda doesn't exist on our team. The stuff you see is fanaticism in them, while in you, it's just idealism. Right? Their blind allegiance is your hard-earned political and sociological wisdom. Surely the righteous word of God, <laughs> as you uh, choose to interpret it. Their demagogue is your photonegative political savior. That's how you get this blind fanaticism for Donald Trump. You've seen these stupid pictures on Facebook and on Twitter, right? Where Donald Trump has taken the place of George Washington paddling across the Potomac. He's <laughs> sitting at the table at the Last Supper. Donald fucking Trump. <laughs> he's their savior. To you, he's a demagogue. To people who eat this shit up, to people who haven't realized that they bought into a propaganda system, he is the savior. They are gobbling every bit of propaganda up. It's, it's affecting their mind. But the problem is that they see Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Alexandria Casio-Cortez, they see her the same way you look at the Donald Trump at the Last Supper painting. Good luck cutting through that, right? Yep, Their demagogue is evil. Yours, surely sent from heaven above to deliver us from one Satan or another. <laughs> Look, there's the satanic scapegoat now. Oh my God, there's a straight white male devil over there. <gasps> he might come over here and oppress me. Scapegoats. <laughs> They're required in a propaganda system. A scapegoat is always required. and you got to have something evil to point toward and fight and rail against. The internal enemy. The difference between our truth and their bullshit. It's related to something Joseph Campbell once said. He made a distinction between religion and mythology. And he described it this way. Mythology? Simply someone else's religion. A religion you don't practice is mythology. That's the difference between our truth and their bullshit. And, of course, it always comes back to this. You've got to factor in data overload as well. Choking on information. Choking on disconnected data. Constantly being delivered to your devices. Or you go seek it out. On some level, maybe we instinctively know all this is bullshit. But also know instinctively that there's no way to tell what's true or false or whom to believe. I talked about this in yesterday's episode. Subconsciously, on some level, I think a lot of people understand that. I, I don't know. I don't know how to quantify how many. But I think that a lot of people subconsciously know that if they abandon this belief system that they've adopted, if they forsake that religion, they won't know where to go or what to believe subconsciously that is an admission that you have given up the pursuit for truth in favor of doctrine there is no way around that if that bothers you on a subconscious level if that terrifies you if that's something you don't even want to look at it's probably something that you i'm going to you should probably something you should look at and that'll take you i think back to what i talked about yesterday we don't know a damn thing and we know it so we cling Give me something to believe in. 
Should have used that for the open for this episode. Now we're casing die. Maybe I'll use it for the next one. Give me something to believe in. Woo, poison. Yeah, you rock. Brett Michael's dead too. God damn it. Anyway, yeah. You know, here's the thing. When everybody's a liar, when everyone's a liar, nothing is a lie. The thing is that uh, truth, reality, it doesn't die. Reality does not suffer itself the petty interests of semi-conscious apes. It's going to outlast us and not even flinch when we're gone. It won't miss us either. Not one single bit. Practically speaking, though, it appears that truth sure as fuck gets exiled to a universe far, far away with some regularity. And this is Lippman again. The society lacking the means to tell the truth, to tell truth from falsehood, does not remain free. And again, I've said it before, going to say it again, I'm being redundant for a reason. The means don't matter. If you lack the means, it doesn't matter why. Totalitarian, tyrannical, tech-driven data overload, or just simply a willful blindness to external truth, even basic fundamental facts in favor of your faction's scripture. All of this leads to the exact same place. So, setting chronic cynicism aside, which is difficult for me sometimes, and offering the benefit of the doubt, even if this informational sectarianism, these cults, these echo chambers, even if that's due to an informationally saturated public, therefore an increased sensitivity to the enemy's propaganda, the half-assed nature of it, the, the being unwilling to see it in our own congregation leads to the same rat-infested shack as it would if we were a nation of simplistic and drunk tribal chuckle fucks. I've been wanting to use that. Outgroup hatred, egocentricity based on being the chosen ones in an imaginary holy war of our good uh, versus their evil. And worse, no common language of agreed-upon external Eternal truth on which to build uh, even a cheap plastic foundation of cooperation. This imagined holy war is part of what I'll get to later on. Lippmann's pseudo-environment. These internal narratives. It's what Harari referred to as the imagined order and the grand scheme of things. The, uh, the grand design. These are the personalized fictions for one of my reality. My personal reality, my truth, my personalized truth. And one of the points Lippmann makes is that while these internal pseudo-environments are fictitious, this is important, they are fictitious, but they are acted upon in the real world. The actual reality, the real one we all share in the world in which we live. And when we congregate into these organic groups, the real-life ones made up of cells who've all chosen to believe the same fictions, we become self-reinforcing mobs. And what have we learned about mobs? Mobs are stupid. They're dumb. Oh, yeah. Now, if this creeps you out, oh, you wait till I move on to Gustave Le Bon. Oh, boy. That book, the, what is it, The Crowd? I've read Stephen King. That book scares the shit out of me. More than anything I've ever read from King. I've read The Shining. I'm working on Pet Cemetery, off and on. 
reading Gustav Le Bon's The Crowd. This is the book that influenced Freud, which in turn influenced Hitler and Lansdowne Prison before he uh, you know, took hold of the Nazi party. This is how Hitler, by one degree of separation, learned to lather up the mob in Nazi Germany. You read this book, and it, w- it would be less creepy if there wasn't this example of how it worked, how it actually succeeded, and the horrific results that came from it. Le- I, I, uh, Gustav Laban, if you want a fun read, if you want something light for the Thanksgiving holiday season, <laughs> uh, maybe Halloween's a better one for that, huh? Go to the go to the company Christmas party dressed as Laban. You can tell his story. Who are you dressed as? Let me tell you about Gustav Laban. He's not a religious guy, isn't he? Oh. <laughs> Always trying to help out with these holiday decisions, I am. <laughs> anyway, with no common language of agreed upon external truth. All right. No shared tether to reality. This, my friends, <laughs> I'm sorry to tell you, is where all recipes of sausage party hope breaks down. Right here. No tether to a shared reality. No common language of facts. This is where the utopian vision breaks down. This is where we break the fuck down and turn into rampaging monkeys attacking the interloper who we have judged and deemed to be an intruder on our territory. We can't even speak the same language. How are we going to negotiate and cooperate? If you disagree with that analysis, that is fine. That's your right. I respect your opinion. If you've sat through this podcast and you keep listening to these podcasts and you're keeping up with them, I respect where you're coming from. Just by default, that's fine. Disagree. But I'm going to repeat something. I'm going to repeat that demand that you show me your work. Beyond some handy-dandy theory involving sectarian idealism. Oh, but Elizabeth Warren and Bernie are going to take us home. None of that shit. And or utopian happy thoughts about a future socialist heaven on earth. Or any kind of heaven on earth. Disagree with me. That's, that's, that's cool. I want proof. I want to see where you're getting it from, and I want to see it taken out of this fanciful, abstract world of imaginary gods and imaginary fairy tale endings. Ain't no Prince Charming coming to whisk you away, Snow White. I think this dual-sided Ukrainian story... <laughs> and it is dual-sided, believe it or not. You wouldn't know it by CNN, but it is. There are millions of people watching Fox News that believe this is a dual-sided story. So, therefore, it's a dual-sided story, whether you like it or not. Anderson Cooper. Now, this is just another, though, in a long, long, long line of controversies, right? Over on CNN and MSNBC, the narrative is yet another example of Trump's chronic criminal malfeasance. Maybe they're right. Uh, This time, extorting Ukraine's president to uh, investigate a political opponent he fears in Joe Biden. But over on Fox, (laughs) Trump really didn't do anything wrong, right? Yeah, I can can verify that. That's exactly what they're saying. The story's Joe Biden using his position as vice president to set up his son to make a financial killing in both Ukraine and in China. Oh, and... When a Ukrainian prosecutor investigated the company his kid was working for, it was Biden who abused 
his power and strong-armed the Ukrainian leadership uh, by threatening to withhold a billion dollars in aid unless the prosecutor was fired just before he was due to interview Hunter Biden. Oh, and by the way, they have tape of Mr. Biden bragging about it. To them, that's the Watergate tape, right? So who, who are we supposed to believe here? Again, you have to take this from a detached point of view, an ideologically free perspective, if you possibly can. If you are not loyal to either one of these uh, churches, who are you supposed to believe? Which narrative is the truthful one? Is anyone getting anything right? If so, are they grossly over-sensationalizing the stories to put more eyeballs in front of dick pills and rascal scooter commercials over there on Fox? Are they blowing everything completely out of proportion on both sides? Could be. Maybe not. Could be, though. Get you watching, doesn't it? Rachel Maddow had all sorts of conspiracy theories. And you know what? Yeah, that's exactly what they are now. Russia, 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 Russia. And it worked. It was getting eyeballs in front of her, right? You got to watch the drama, according to Rachel, unfold every night on her program. Are they doing that to us now? On both sides of this. Now, you ask that question. You ask a Fox, MSNBC, or a CNN partisan. Somebody addicted to the media coverage, accepting the media coverage of the channel they have chosen to watch each and every day, they're going to have a ready answer for you, complete with the latest current events news that they've memorized from their profit-based informational sources script. The current events man. Ideological faith and loyalty aside, which one is right? Who's the well-intentioned political infidel to believe? <laughs> Asking for a friend. <laughs> if anyone. Can you believe anybody? And how do you know? How do you, quote-unquote, really know a single fucking thing? How can you claim it? In this environment, in this environment, knowing everything you know now after listening to all of this golden material that I've been putting forth, for the last couple of months, how do you really know what to believe? And can you actually answer that without putting yourself into a fit of anxiety? Sorry. Again, I, I think I began this show <laughs> by saying, you know what? I really don't know what to believe. Doesn't look good uh, for Trump. Doesn't look good. Well, looks fine for Trump. He's not going to be impeached. But... For the country, for the presidency, for the institutions, no, it does not look good at all. I've mentioned that over the last few days I've flipped between uh, Fox and CNN. Just a little tiny bit of MSNBC. <laughs> I ran like hell from that. Uh, but I wanted to compare the coverage. I didn't do a lot of that today. I did a little, a little tiny bit. I, I intended to do more, but I couldn't bring myself to do it. And plus, there was a baseball game on this afternoon. But like I said before, it's not night and day. These guys are in different universes, man. And if you're somehow wondering, still wondering how and why we're living in different factual universes, how you can find someone, talk to them, and they are giving you completely different facts than the ones you're assuming are true. 
If you're still wondering why that is, try watching those two networks deliver the same story over the course of an hour or two. Especially something like, this is a really good week to do that. The events are the same, right? Ukraine's involved. The the nouns, I suppose, are the same. The the cast is the same. Donald Trump's involved in both. Joe Biden's involved in, well, not really involved in the CNN aspect, is he? But that would explain it, right? You've been you've been inundating, you've been gorging on this Trump scandal material. You go find a conservative who's been watching Fox News all week. And then all of a sudden he's Biden, 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 Biden. You're like, what the fuck is going on with you? Why are you all like Bidened up? That's why. I've seen this happen a million times, man, with my girlfriend's dad. <laughs> I'm not going to call him out. But yeah, we'd be having a conversation about something. We don't talk politics anymore. We did for a while. Tried it on for a while. Didn't work. Took that sweater off. Put it in the, in the dresser. <laughs> but when we would, I would try to find something that we might be able to have a common you know, agreement upon. He's a, a far right-wing guy. Evangelical type dude. And we, it would start, and the, the conversation would always swing around to Hillary. Always, it didn't matter what the hell we were talking about. Well, Hillary did this like Hillary like is responsible for all evils on the planet Earth. Somehow, all roads lead to Hillary. Hillary Drive. I I couldn't figure that out, but I didn't watch a lot of Fox News at that. Now I get it. Okay, so every conversation we're going to have about Donald Trump and this scandal, the impeachment hearings, any kind of impeachment is always probably going to come back to Biden. Biden's going to become the new Hillary. And they made an interesting point. One person did make an interesting point tonight. And they said that they're waiting for a Trump rally where they just switch from lock her up to lock him up. This whole narrative that we're familiar with from the previous election cycle is just going to, it's going to transition to Biden now. He's the criminal. He's the criminal. And then everything we talk about, what about Biden in the Ukraine? Because that's all the information they're getting. That's what they're, they're being fed on their media. That's how this happens. There is no common basis of information outside of the characters involved. Now, you tell me, I asked you this question yesterday. (laughs) How can you tell me that this country, under those circumstances, in that environment, has the means to tell truth from falsehood? And if Walter Lippmann's right, in a country that doesn't have the means to tell truth from falsehood, does it remain free? How do we remain free? Grr. And the reason we're in this situation, the reason we, we have... I think these alternate factual universes is because most people can't do what I just said. Watch the opposition media. This is an old thing, man. I could never watch Fox News. When I was a liberal, or at least an anti-Republican, I probably should explain that at some point in time. I may have been giving you the wrong impression. Anyway, when I was an anti-Tea Party guy, anti-Palin I tried a couple of times. I wanted to figure out what the deal was with Fox News more than once. I could never bring myself to be able to watch Fox News. I would flip over there and I would be gone. I swear to God, 30 seconds. I would listen to 15 seconds of Sean Hannity or Bill O'Reilly when he was on. Oh my God, I was gone. Laura Ingram, I wanted to just, I wanted to gouge my eyeballs out with my own pinkies whenever she came on the TV screen. 
I could not, I can't say, I still don't like hearing her voice. It's like I've had too much Southern comfort and I hear her voice. It's like, I'm not alone here. I've had conversations with a lot of people about this kind of thing and they can't do it either. They cannot watch the opposition media. There is something behind this. People do not watch the other team's stuff. They do not watch the other guy's propaganda because they have a visceral and adverse reaction to it. That goes beyond just, oh, that's bullshit. It goes beyond, I mean, you would think you would be able to disconnect from it. If it was just false, you would be able to watch it for the entertainment purposes, right? Just because it's patently wrong and hilariously misinformed, it seems like you'd be able to watch that, right? Most people can't do it. I couldn't. There was a visceral response to it, an anger. That it was almost like my mind and my ears and my eyes rejected it and had it almost went into convulsions and I had to grab the remote and get the fuck away from this. I would like to know why that is. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, I can watch, my girlfriend loves the Hallmark Channel, right? And she has that thing on. Every weekend when she's home in the morning, she loves to watch the Hallmark Channel. I'll get up, come out of bed, and she'll be watching, I don't know, my weeping vagina or whatever's on. <laughs> right? I don't like those movies. I, I do not like those shows. I'm a guy. So I, I think I'm kind of normal in that regard. But I can sit there and I can, I can watch it. I can be polite. And I can sit there without going into convulsive fits and watch the Hallmark Channel. Why is it that I cannot sit on the couch and I cannot watch or could not watch Fox News? I don't watch MSNBC right now. I just mentioned this earlier. I didn't realize that when I wrote this, but I just, that happened to me earlier today with MSNBC. And I used to watch MSNBC all the time. What is that? There's something in there in that book that I, I mentioned. I actually spent a little bit of time on it. Have I done that yet? I don't think I have. Oh, goody. Yes. Let me give you a little hint on this. Is that they've done research on like these public affairs shows. I'm going to sound like a non-sequitur. It's not. Like, you know, the, the, the stuff they throw on <laughs> the radio and TV at 5 o'clock on Sunday mornings. They used to have to do that stuff, right? It used to be uh, mandated. And it would be really bland crap. And they'd do like stuff on, I don't know, a library opening up in the community or, or some sort of um, racial group issues program, you know. And they did studies on this and they found that the only, because these things, a little background, these things were designed to promote diversity and understanding within the community, right? What they found was that nobody in the out group was watching them. Like they did, uh, he, I think he used a, an example of like Puerto Ricans, right? They highlighted Puerto Ricans in New York City or something like that. Like, this is what they're doing for the community. This is who they are. Aren't they great? The only people watching it were the Puerto Ricans. Yeah, whew, we're great. <laughs> the people it was directed at, it didn't, you know, encourage diversity because the other groups weren't watching it. But when they did one on the Irish, Irish were watching it. They did one on the Russians. Sure, Russians watched it. Nobody else did. It didn't work. And this, I think, is tied in directly to this because nobody cares about the other guy. They just want their own group reinforced. 
So we don't go look for alternative information and other points of view because we want our point of view fed to us. This is the boutique news media. They figured this out and they figured out how to monetize it. But that's also propaganda. So not only have they figured out how to monetize current events and tailored current events, they have moved into the realm of of monetizing in-group propaganda. And going back to what I talked about earlier, you always see the other guy's propaganda for what it is. So what if that's the only place you can get alternate information is another propaganda source? You can't watch it. Your mind, your, your soul, your identity, that's what it is. Your identity will reject sitting in front of it. And good luck finding a, a, a non-biased news source. Go ask a conservative to watch NPR. I know a lot of you liberals think that NPR is unbiased. I know it. I've heard you say it. Go grab a conservative, put him down in front of NPR. They won't be able to listen to it. They'll hate it. Be like you listening to Limbaugh. It's a really good indication that it's propaganda because there's a natural reaction to it. I can, I, I can listen to NPR. I appreciate good radio. I appreciate calm deliveries, even though I, well, probably because I can't do it myself. I appreciate NPR for what it is, being an old radio guy. But no, I, I totally see it as propaganda. It's rational propaganda. It's low-key propaganda, which flies in the face of a lot of the other stuff we have, which makes it seem, I guess, higher end, right? A little more high-minded, but it's still propaganda nonetheless. It doesn't matter if it's calm and they're talking like this. And then, you know, Donald Trump is one of the most evil fuckers in the entire world. That's still propaganda, even though I'm sort of like up on the microphone and talking really soft and soothing. Elizabeth Warren will save us from this evil bastard, Donald Trump. Next on the delicious dish, how to cook cat stew. See, I said it's soft. It doesn't change the content of the message, does it? Not at all. Anyway, I got to move on. Sorry. But that's interesting. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to stick with that because I, I think there is, oh, yes, that, that physical reaction. It's not only visceral. If it, if it is only in the visceral realm, that's a really intense one. If you're, if you're a liberal guy, if you're a hardcore liberal, <laughs> I should probably do this the other way. If you're a hardcore conservative, because I don't think I have a lot of liberals left, but if you're a hardcore conservative and you haven't done this in a long time, go flip on, I don't know, who's that guy that's on before Meadow? Chris Hayes. Yeah, go watch that pompous little shit. Go see if you can get through a half hour of Mr. Pompous Ass at 8 o'clock on MSNBC. Lawrence O'Donnell, oh, he's fun. Go watch him. See if you can do it, conservative guy. And liberal guy, yeah, go check out Hannity. I dare you. Tucker Carlson will be fun for you. Don't pay attention to the message as much as you pay attention to your reaction. I want to know why that is. And it's not just, no, it's over the top. It's not just because it's bullshit. There's something else. Is it a reflection? Is it a reflection that we know our shit is propaganda on some deep-ass level? That we know we have embraced the photo-negative version of that and seeing that makes us extremely uncomfortable. Is that it, do you suppose? 
You know, we have the strongest relations to things that, you know, make us really uncomfortable. They say that they say that the people you hate the most reflect something in you. I wonder if this is the same thing. Hmm. I love it when I can come up with my own questions on the fly. That's neat. I don't know that that's happened on a podcast before. Anyway, yeah, most people can't bring themselves to watch this stuff and actually listen to it. Actually listen to the, the opposition media and ingest the message. Listen to what they're saying. They can't do it for more than a few minutes when they try. The entire conscious act is one of discounting and arguing. Either in your mind or out loud, yelling shit at the television with everything that's being said. That's bullshit. Fuck you. Liar. Uh-uh. Rachel said this. And if he said that. You know what? There's probably not any better place that I can think of right off the top of my head to watch your own elephant in action than by listening to political material that you hate. An elephant's like a psychotic feral cat. (laughs) Hates other cats, man. Doesn't want to be around any of them. Hates being exposed to the other elephant more than anything. Uh Uh-huh. I tell you, if you're truly, truly detached, or at least, you know, in the process of getting there, God bless you. It's sometimes, not always, but sometimes useful to do something like this. And uh, I'll tell you, where it is always useful is watching the for-profit boutique news machine and mass media propaganda apparatus at work in real time because you can see it on the other side. You can see what they're doing. It's, it's, it's self-evident to you to watch the opposition propaganda machine at work. So disconnect from the data, disconnect from the information, but start paying attention to the other stuff, like the, the, the terminology and the phraseology they use in the little cryon graphics at the bottom of the screen. How those, some of those phrases and the, and the choice of wording is used to sort of guide thought. Like CNN had something about Trump's crazed tweets. Okay, you're a professional news organization. Maybe they were crazed, maybe they weren't, but why did you choose the word crazed? Huh. You're trying to appeal to some audience, aren't you? If not, if you were really an actual news and information organization that was truly down the middle and only interested in delivering facts, you would have probably chosen another word other than crazed. Crazed is a biased word. Fox does this too. Oh, check it out. Try it that way. I'll bet you that if you do that well, If you're lucky, you may be able to take that. You may be able to plant that schematic and how that is uh, being used over on Fox or CNN if you're a conservative and then take it back to your normal everyday news source and watch for the same thing. Watch for the same. You won't like it. You won't like it when you see it, but watch for it. Those are the little neuro connections in your mind that may help you get free or just piss you off. (laughs) And to be honest with you, be perfectly frank with you, you're not going to find anything that's unbiased anyway. You're not going to find it. You're not going to find something, anything. You're not going to find anything in this media. I'm overusing the word ecosystem, but you're not going to find anything in this media ecosystem that isn't directed and tailored at a specific audience in a specific point of view. They are delivering a product. They are putting eyeballs in front of of their advertisers' products. 
You are the product being sold, my friends. You're not paying for this. You're not paying a la carte on your cable package to get CNN. You're not paying a subscription. They're making a lot of money. Why are they making a lot of money? Uh, advertisers. And why are the advertisers paying a lot of money? Uh, eyeballs. And how do they get the eyeballs? Uh, product. Producing a product that a demographic wants to consume. And what better way to do that than giving you your daily dose of propaganda? Your daily dose of agreeable propaganda. Media 101 podcast is back there. <clears throat> I highly suggest you go listen to it if you haven't. It's one of my best. Anyway, as far as our latest uh, dueling banjos of scandals go, uh, here's something revolutionary for you. You ready? What if they're both right? What if they're both right? What if Biden really did all this shit that Fox News is saying? And what if uh, uh, Trump is guilty as shit of abuse of power? What if they are both right? You know, Trump deployed Giuliani, obviously, for some, I don't know, nefarious purpose over there. You know, Bill Barr, too, the attorney general extorting Ukraine for investigative dirt on Biden. And what if Joe Biden really does use his position as Obama's veep to strong arm the same country in order to kill an investigation leading straight to his own son? What if CNN's reporting on the Trump angle is accurate because, because they hate him? And, on the other hand, what if Fox is getting the Biden angle correct because they hate Biden? Does it really matter why? Do you really care why it's accurate? Now, of course, that's going to depend on the political cult to which you belong, to which party you've hitched your little chuck wagon of beliefs. For many people, though, they do care deeply. They're sort of like these overprotective, deluded parents my sister was one of these. These ones that are convinced that the cops have arrested their kid only because the police have it out for him. Oh, they're picking on him. They just don't like him. They're not being fair. <laughs> you know people like that, don't you? Yeah. Uh, yeah, these parents, they're the ones that are going to reject any charges against their precious little Johnny Angel. They're going to reject him out of hand, huh? It's what's hilarious about CNN. It's like they, they, they're responding to these charges against Biden. Not, you know, they're saying, oh, no wrongdoing was ever found. I don't ever remember this investigation, to be honest with you. So how can you say no wrong wrongdoing was, and whatever. <laughs> but they, they're, they're almost approaching it like he's unimpeachable. Like, oh, bad choice of words, Todd. But he's untouchable. Like, he's pristine. He's Joe Biden. Joe Biden would never do that. Johnny Angel, Joey Angel, no. You just have it out for him. You see it on Twitter. You see that on the news channels. You see it everywhere, man. Similarities are staggering between these networks in these ways. Between Fox and CNN. I know they're polar opposites in content, but the similarities in how they deliver it and how they manipulate their viewership, staggering. If you can clear your eyes just enough to see it. You know, CNN's been dismissing this Biden stories, conspiracy theory, all week, saying there's no wrongdoing. Just said it. I don't remember this being investigated. I don't remember hearing much about this. I don't know that I remember hearing anything. Do you? I don't remember, but all of a sudden, oh, no wrongdoing was ever found, as if it was investigated, as if a real investigation had taken place. 
Maybe it has. Maybe I just missed it. It could be. But it seems like something like that I would remember, or it would have been brought up when he announced his candidacy, right? I don't remember this. My memory is not what it used to be. I apologize if I missed it and I'd forgotten. I don't think I did. This is in much the same way Fox dismisses the Trump story. And, of course, the loyal partisan viewers who are not going to bother to listen to any other side of the story, they're just going to be happy to be marching along and singing in tune. You know, when a person can take pleasure, you know, marching in step to a piece of music, it's enough to make me despise him. He's been given his big brain only by mistake and a spinal cord would have been enough. Is that harsh, you think? A little judgmental? Yeah? Yeah, am I being mean? Yeah? I'll take it up with Einstein. <laughs> That's his quote, not mine. He's right, though. He used that line in the context of nationalism. But he's right. I'll say it again, he's right. Because what he was talking about in general was a blind and unquestioning faith in something. Blind and unquestioning faith in something. Have a seat, John boy. That's what's for dinner. Ain't chicken this time. There's a reason for that. There is a reason for all of this. There is a reason for it. I've touched on it a little bit with Lippman, but that's just the tip of the iceberg, and that's where this show is about to pivot to. You're going to love it. That's a lie. That's a total bald-faced lie. It's depressing, but it's important. <laughs> Oh, isn't that the truth? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't Brett Michaels that died, it was Janie Lang. Hey, give me something to believe in. Yeah. Oh, Brett's doing just fine doing reality shows these days. Janie Lang, though, lead singer from Warren, I got confused. I knew one of them died. Yeah, he passed away uh, of alcohol poisoning. At a Comfort Inn back in 2011. I knew he died. I thought he had like a liver problem. Well, maybe that was a liver problem. Something to believe in. Sometimes I wish I didn't know now the things I didn't know then. That really fit. I forgot that line was in this tune. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I can relate to that these days. Listen to the Escaping the Cave podcast at uh, ChristopherMedia.net, EscapingTheCave.com, all your favorite podcatchers, anyone that's reputable anyway, and of course, uh, fuck Twitter. So we've been talking about uh, a lot of things today, the dueling um, propagandas, the dueling scandals. There is a slight path to empathy to a lot of this. I think I pointed it out pretty well in the last couple of episodes, but the thing you got to keep in mind, I think, in my opinion anyway, is that you have to have some balance here. Maybe there is a path to some kind of empathy. Maybe we can understand a lot of this, but the role of the innocent victim here, being the innocent victim of the oppressive propagandist, you know, blaming the propagandist and the industry alone for everything is the equivalent of blaming the bartender for your drinking problem. 
This is going to be made apparent. I've been hinting at this and hinting at this and hinting at this. This is going to be laid out because there is a need for this and it lies in our hands, not theirs. They've just figured out how to exploit this and how to manipulate this for power profit. The, the advertising industry knows how to use this as well. That's the Edward Bernays tie-in. Okay, and something else I want you to keep in mind, you smart guys out there, you real educated guys who think your intelligence is going to be able to help you through all this, who think that reading the day's current events and checking out the New York Times and all the news channels and being all informed and everything is going to protect you, it's going to inoculate you from this. No, actually, the fact of the matter is, is that you are more susceptible to this stuff than the uneducated, ignorant dolt living up in the mountains in Idaho. Who knows nothing? Because this stuff always uses elements of truth. Let's go back to that. Propaganda isn't a lie. The best propaganda. Some of it is. There's an aspect to that. But the best propaganda always, in some way, tells you the truth, takes the truth, and spins it like a top in your mind to send you reeling off in the direction that they want you to go. So the more informed you are, current events man, the more opportunities they have to take these facts, these things that you already know to be factually accurate, take them, spin them, manipulate the mind. You are not immune, smart guy. Information, even untainted information, even untainted information, if you can find it, will make you more susceptible to this stuff. There's a section I'm going to get to on that when I return to the book. These informed opinions, these informed opinions actually help the propagandist. And when you think of informed opinions, make sure you don't make the mistake of assuming that quote-unquote informed means originally crafted via critical thought. All right, most of the informed opinions aren't that. It's something closer to memorizing an instruction manual sometimes. Most times. I mean, reciting a farewell to arms does not make you Hemingway. All right, remember that. This is one of those things, I always go back to Emerson and self-reliance, and this reminds me of his uh, retained attorney reciting a precedent, something he read in a law book somewhere, right? Jacques Ellul, this guy reminds me a little bit of uh, Andrew Sullivan in a weird way. I know that's kind of strange. He also reminds me of Chomsky and uh, Christopher Hitchens as well. In one specific sense, though, in the way that he was able to get closer to the core of the problem. He was able to dig deeper and actually look, I think, in a more clear fashion than most people at this problem, the problem of propaganda. The solution for us, all right, I haven't found it yet. I don't know how to articulate it. I don't know how to construct it or pass it along to you, but it probably lies in eliminating exposure to the outrage industrial complex, the propaganda machine, and their puppets, especially online, Twitter, Facebook, all that, the conditioned reflexes of the moment, and trying to suppress that urge in ourselves so we're not spreading the problem too. Probably the solution lies somewhere in there. And if you can avoid the outrage industrial complex, the propaganda industrial machine, which is basically everything at this point, 
if you can avoid most of that, or at least the least agitating outlets, it's probably going to be a lot easier to control that impulse, that impulse, that, that drive toward action, that conditioned reflex to some sort of action that they want you to take. It's a lot easier to avoid all of that if you're not ingesting it constantly, if you're not drowning yourself in data. That's getting out of the contrived news cycle. These news cycles that really aren't. These outrages that really aren't. These news outlets want you to think that they're, you know, the free press protecting democracy and liberty and justice for all and all that stuff, right? I'll leave such judgments to you, but I can tell you this. Their economic model is based on viewership. It's becoming more based on clicks, page views, stuff like that. And that means in this media environment, with so many choices to choose from, the media has to run the sensationalist route in order to get your eyeballs in front of them, in order to get your attention. They have to A, be sensational, be screaming at you, hey, over here. And also, they've got to be giving you the content you want because there are too many places to go to get it. Therefore, the free press, in the traditional sense, in the classic context of an enlightened citizenry and being on safeguard for justice and all that crap is probably, almost certainly, almost definitely corrupted and probably gone. Lippmann talked about this in the 1920s. He saw the corrupting influence of the journalistic economic model. You're not getting news. You're getting a product. You are getting a product, and they have figured out how to monetize uh, both point of view, agenda, an expected point of view, and an, a demanded agenda. And they've also figured out how to monetize propaganda. But the thing to remember... I'm going to go back to the first thing I said in this little segment. In fact, I'm going to read it again. The propagandist and his industry alone are not to blame by themselves. There is a market there, and the market is us. We want this. We need this. It is of the same vein as religion. It's what's chosen to explain a very confusing and an impossible to completely conceive world. I've warned you before, a long time ago, that there isn't sausage party hope coming. I'm not hiding it from you so I can spring it on you <laughs> like a little Christmas present. It's not there. There are things we can do to maybe mitigate the effects of this. And if there are any solutions down the road... Obviously, any of them have to include being aware of what it is. And that's got to include being self-aware of who and what we are and how we are affected by this. The problem is the people. If the problem is the people, the solution lies in those same people. It's us. It's the people, stupid. <laughs> It really is. You're not used to being told that. <laughs> None of us are. Used to being catered to. Because you can't be R-U-N-N-O-F-T, you know? That's the beauty of not monetizing something. I don't need your money. It's a wonderful thing. <laughs>
Yes, I'm tooting my own horn. Honk, honk. I got no reason to lie to you. Boom. 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 It's cold this morning. Went out and smoked a cigarette before I recorded this. Falls are coming. I'll keep you warm. Escaping the Cave podcast. ChristopherMedia.net. Check out the uh, website, the network, for all your podcast stuff. Also, check out my website at escapingthecave.com. Have I mentioned the podcatchers? Yes, I have. Have I have I mentioned fuck Twitter? Well, fuck Twitter. In case I missed it, can't have that. More episodes on the way. We are into a routine officially to kick off fall. I'm excited. Hope you are too. Talk to you next time.